Welcome to Unsolved Murders Essay, a podcast series where we will be delving into gruesome homicide investigations that, at the time of producing these episodes, were still open. The objective of this series is to keep the stories of the forgotten alive and, hopefully, help spark a memory for anyone listening with intimate knowledge of the cases. The views, information, or opinions expressed in this series are solely those of individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Swisher Post, its parent company, and partners. Some of the content featured in this series describes details of extreme violence. Therefore, viewers' discretion is strongly advised. Before we get into this episode, we'd like to thank you in advance for subscribing to our podcast. Every like, comment, and subscription goes a long way in helping us grow our Unsolved Murders essay community. If you're a new listener, then please do us a favor and subscribe to our channel. Unsolved Murders essay is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. You can also find the latest updates on South African true crime stories at swisherpost.co.za. Crime opportunity theory is based on the fundamental suggestion that offenders make rational choices and thus choose targets that offer a high reward with little effort and risk. S.W. Boy Smith, the UK's former director of police policy, once wrote that opportunity is a third principal cause of crime. This theory relies heavily on the notion that the occurrence of a crime depends on two things. The presence of at least one motivated offender who is ready and willing to engage in a crime and the conditions of the environment in which the offender is situated. Marcus Felsen and Ronald V. Clark, two highly esteemed professors of criminology, present 10 principles of crime opportunity theory in their research paper, Opportunity Makes the Thief, a Practical Theory for Crime Prevention. I highly recommend you give this a read, by the way. One. Opportunities play a role in causing all crime. Two, crime opportunities are highly specific. Three, crime opportunities are concentrated in time and space. Four, crime opportunities depend on everyday movements of activity. Five, one crime produces opportunities for another. Six, some products offer more tempting crime opportunities. 7. Social and technological changes produce new crime opportunities. 8. Crimes can be prevented by reducing opportunities. 9. Reducing opportunities does not usually displace crime. And 10. Focused opportunity reduction can produce wider declines in crime. Here is a quote from Felsen and Clark on how settings, or the environment, play a critical role in the occurrence of crime, a factor that is at the center of this episode. Open quote. Individual propensities towards crime and criminogenic features of settings, while both important, are not equally simple to analyze. The usual approach, discovering who has greater personal propensities towards crime and why, is a more formidable task. Statistical analyses to unravel individual causes are highly complicated and seem to go in circles. Articulate essays about the causes of crime may persuade one group of readers but seem to make little headway in persuading others. We see no immediate prospect of success in resolving the many controversies about what causes individual crime propensities. 
On the other hand, theories about how settings cause crime are more successful, not only in gaining empirical verification, but in reaching consensus. For example, we know that large pubs with many drunken young males jostling one another produce more crimes. We know that the layout of certain parks or streets invites prostitution and drug dealing. We understand some of the design and management principles that help to make public housing insecure or safe, even when there is room for controversy and refinement theory. Close quote. There are three popular opportunity theories that examine crime from different perspectives. One, the routine activity approach assumes that for crimes to occur, there must be a convergence in time and space of three minimal elements, a likely offender, a suitable target, and the absence of a capable guardian against crime. Two, the crime pattern theory tells us that the manner in which people and things move in space and time can culminate in the occurrence of a crime. This theory suggests that the likelihood of crime increases in accordance with the victim and offender's daily interactions with the environment. 3. The rational choice perspective proposes that offending is a purposive behavior designed to benefit the offender in some way. Open quote. To understand crime choices, one must always analyze highly specific categories of offense. The reason for this specifically is that offenses have such different purposes and are influenced by very different situational factors. For example, car thieves are of several different kinds, including joyriders, people stealing components or things left in the car, those stealing cars for resale or to dismantle for spare parts, those wanting a car to use for another crime and those simply wanting to drive home. This is not to say that those who commit one type of car theft never commit another. It merely states that car theft for one purpose is quite different from car theft for an entirely different purpose and must be analyzed accordingly, Felsen and Clark say. Juandre Kidson was a 30-year-old father of one and a native of Rustenburg, a city situated at the foot of the Machalisberg mountain range in the Northwest province. His parents, whose identities have been withheld for security reasons, moved to the Northwest metropolis in the early 90s and found a haven in a city that boomed in mining activity. Juandre was the eldest of three boys. We were fortunate enough to interview one of Jean-Andre's siblings, Marco Kitson, who reflected on his childhood growing up under the wings of his ever-protective eldest brother. Open quote. We had quite a close friendship. Jean-Andre was a very God-fearing man, and he always tried to help me with staying on the right path. We liked to go fishing together. That was where we bonded the most, is when we'd go fishing together. He always wanted to take me hunting. This year was the year we were supposed to go hunting together, close quote, he said. Christianity played a crucial role in Juandre's upbringing. As the eldest, he often preached the word to Marco and the lostborn and always used the teaching of the Holy Bible to correct his brothers. Juandre was an adventurous kid and naturally, his thirst for discovery always placed him in the line of danger. 
Open quote. We always made jokes saying that he was the child always getting in accidents because he had multiple injuries, jumping through windows on a trampoline, motorbike accidents, car accidents. He was very adventurous and he lived life 100%, close quote, Marco reflected. Joandre attended Rustenburg Christian Academy Primary School and later enrolled at Rustenburg High School where he excelled in IT. According to Marco, his eldest brother was so good at the subject that he earned a decent income repairing computers in his community. Joandre matriculated in 2010, and while his peers pursued higher education, he continued thriving in his work as a freelance computer repairman. Our research indicates that Joandre used his specialties in IT for six years after he matriculated. Thereafter, in 2016, he established Aquam Vivum, a company that sold purified water and plastic bottle screen printing services to businesses in Rustenburg and Brits. According to Marco, Joandre wasn't really into dating. Sure, he showed an interest in women, but he never indulged too much in relationships. Open quote. He always searched for the right woman. I can remember two of them, women he dated before marriage. But it didn't work out because he searched for the one that he would spend the rest of his life with. Close quote. Marco said. Johannette Kitson, the woman who'd end up stealing Joandre's heart, was also born and raised in Rustenburg. While not much is known about her background, Marco confirmed that Johannette worked for his mother, who ran a jumping castle rental business, and that's where his brother met her. Johannette was, in many ways, a lot like Joandre. She was a God-fearing woman a devout Christian with a thirst for adventure and the outdoors. Not very long after they started dating, Joandre took the knee and a year thereafter, they got married. Johannette, between 2016 and 2017, joined Joandre's entrepreneurial venture and became Aquam Vivam's sales manager. By 2021, the couple had welcomed their first and only child. Looking back at what we've learned about Joandre, we can reasonably conclude that this faith-based upbringing paved the way for this blissful and simple life he lived, and at the very least, the manner in which it was taken was categorically undeserving. Saturday, 7 May 2022, was like any other for Joandre and his family. According to Marco, on Saturdays, Joandre, Joannette, and their daughter would always make the 74-kilometer drive from Brits, where they lived, to spend the day with his parents in Rustenburg. Joandre also had business dealings in his hometown, and he'd often tend to those whenever he was around on Saturdays. On that fateful weekend, though, he had no such arrangements. The last time Marco saw his brother was around 6 p.m. when he left the home. Joandre, Joannette, and their daughter said their goodbyes and headed back to Brits shortly before 8 p.m. Not long thereafter, Joandre's mother received a WhatsApp message from Joannette, 
informing her that they had driven over sharp objects on the N4 highway and were forced to park on the side of the road to change a punctured tire. Open quote. My brother drove as far as he could, but he had to stop to change that tire. Close quote, Marco recalled. Joannette asked her mother-in-law to keep them in her prayers since that route was synonymous with rampant criminal activity. In fact, earlier that day, police were called out to the scene of a murder where a man was shot and killed on the same road. While Juandre was busy changing the punctured tire of his Hyundai SUV, three armed men pounced from the bushes and accosted him. Open quote. Joannette heard my brother begging for the murderers just to please leave them alone. They can take everything they want, but they must just please leave them alone. Close quote. Marco revealed. At this point, Joandre was still outside of the car. The armed men rummaged inside the vehicle in search of valuable items to make off with. Joannette, who had clutched her baby in her arms, was told to get out of the car. As soon as she was outside, one of the robbers tried snatching the baby out of her grasp, and according to Marco, this is when things went awry. Joandre, it's believed, lunged toward his wife and stood between her and the armed robbers, and this is when, it's believed, he was fatally shot in the head, execution style. According to Joannette's account of events, after her husband was viciously gunned down right in front of her and their daughter, she was shot twice in the shoulder and fell to the ground, covering the baby. The robbers, possibly spooked by oncoming traffic, took two cell phones, a bag of baby clothes and nappies, as well as the couple's luggage bag and ran off into the night. Fortunate to still be alive after encountering the worst possible nightmare of their life, Joannette, with her baby firmly placed in her grasp, ran to get help. According to Marco, she returned to the crime scene where, by then, a towing company had pulled up to inspect the stationary vehicle abandoned on the side of a very busy and dangerous highway. Joannette tried to contact her mother-in-law, but she wasn't picking up. Thereafter, she found a contact number belonging to a friend of Joandre's mother and broke the tragic news to her. The friend made the short trip to the kitchen home, and that's how Joandre's parents were informed of his murder. The family, gut-wrenched by the tragic news, made the 45-minute trip to the crime scene where they met a distraught and injured Joannette. Joannette and the daughter were rushed to a nearby medical hospital for emergency treatment. Joandre's body, on the other hand, was collected by forensic officials, and a case of murder was assigned to Brit's homicide detective, Sergeant Sibayan. We made a number of attempts to reach Sergeant Sibanyane to get a clear perspective of the investigation, but unfortunately, a response was not returned at the time of this episode's recording. However, 
According to Marco, who voiced his discontent with the manner in which the case has thus far been handled, Shuandre's vehicle was taken in for examinations and forensic officials pulled a number of fingerprint profiles. What is unclear at this stage is whether these profiles include the suspects. Open quote. If my father calls to hear what's going on in the investigation, they'll just tell him, no, they're still searching around, they're still trying. We don't get anything worth out of them to tell us that they are really investigating and getting to a point, close quote, Marco said. From what we know, Joannette, the only eyewitness who may have seen the faces of the killers, was not formally interviewed by authorities, and thus no composite sketches were ever drawn. Open quote. My parents are heartbroken. I see my father is not the same man he was at all. We all go to see a psychologist that helps us get over this thing and to talk about it. Everyone is doing very, very badly. Life is not the same at all. Maybe it would have been much better if police gave us updates on what's going on. Close quote, Marco said. With the case pretty much cold more than two months later, the Kitson family has issued a 100 rand cash reward for information that will lead to the arrest and subsequent prosecution of the suspects involved in the murder. While this reward has spurred interest in the case, Marco revealed that sharing his personal contact information has opened his family up to threats from unknown people, warning him against pursuing justice for his brother. Open quote. There were weird SMSs coming to my side, telling me they want to meet up with me, but they don't want any police involved. They just want to see me and my family. So we have a hit on our backs. Close quote. Marco added. The Kitson family continues in their pursuit of justice, but from an investigative perspective, the murder case of Girondre, much like many others in South Africa, remains unsolved. If you are listening to this episode and happen to have information that could help investigators, please contact SAPSA's toll-free crime stop number at 08600 10 This brings us to the end of our episode. If you enjoyed our podcast, please consider giving us a star rating. We appreciate all the feedback and it helps us improve the quality of our podcast. Also, if you have a story you'd like us to investigate, please send us an email at info at swisherpost.co.za and provide us with as much information as possible. Please note that the story suggestions must be based in South Africa and the cases must be unsolved. Thank you for tuning in.